1: Let's get to our guest. William Curtine is with us. He is Portfolio Manager at Milford Asset Management from Auckland, New Zealand. William, Happy New Year to you. Thanks for being with us. I couldn't help but notice uh, that the NASDAQ 100 was the worst performing of the major U.S. indices in 2022, 33% down. And if you look at it in terms of market capitalization, about $6.5 trillion worth of value simply evaporated. Is 2023 going to be a similar story, do you think?
2: Well, we'll see. I mean, if you look at the factors that drove the technology downturn, it's, um, we think there's a valuation bubble, uh, rising interest rates uh, certainly were part of the, um, of the popping of that valuation bubble. But we think weakness in the final month of the year, where the NASDAQ and the technology stocks continue to be very weak all the way until the end of the year uh, compared to other sectors, was probably exasperated by a tax selling effect where u.s retail investors have their tax year end at the end of december they have lost a lot of money on these technology stocks by, so by selling and realizing some of these losses at the end of the year they can save themselves a bit of a tax credit um and save themselves some some tax bill heading into the new year so we're really interested to see how they trade this week now that we're into the new year and we don't have that tax uh, motivated selling
3: uh, William, when you look at uh, New Zealand, for instance, I mean, you can see that the Reserve Bank there, certainly, every, basically every commentator said how ahead of the curve they were in terms of tightening monetary policy. So does that give you any insight, uh, essentially, as to you know what the Fed's doing and what markets are doing and whether everything's been priced in yet?
2: It does a little bit. I mean, we, uh, over here in New Zealand, we're one of the first major central banks to raise interest rates. We believe this year will be one of the first major developed world um, central banks to cut interest rates. Um, and, and that's because, yeah, you know, just anecdotally looking around, talking to people you know, the the market and the economy will not handle mortgage rates at six and a half, seven percent 7% where they are today. So we believe they're intentionally driving the economy into a recession that will uh, bring down inflation as that recession begins, as the weakness and the economic pain really begins, then they'll start walking interest rates back with that inflation. Um, and that we, we do think as a precursor for what will happen to other nations that are actually hiking interest rates reasonably aggressively, the main one obviously being the United States itself, which uh, is, is still one of the more hawkish developed world nations out there. Um, there's a little bit of a lag effect of when those high interest rates will hit um, the consumers in the US, given the, the nature of the 30 year fixed mortgages um, in that nation. But um, ultimately, it will bite. We, we do think it bites sort of later in the year in the US compared to New Zealand, where we think the pain will very much begin to be felt in a big way this current quarter.
1: So I think we can agree that the big story from the last month for the Pacific Rim has been this dramatic, this abrupt reversal of China's uh, COVID zero policy. And over the weekend, the data, the PMI data that we had uh, for China showed a real contraction in uh, economic activity. What's the knock-on effect for New Zealand? Give me a sense of how uh, the land where you are has been impacted by all of this. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, China's just such a huge trade partner for New Zealand um, and also for Australia, our our neighbour over here. um, With slowing China's economy, it it can have a little bit of effect on on the milk consumption, which is New Zealand's main export, but also uh, New Zealand exports a lot of timber over to China and the property sector in China has been in the doldrums. So we're experiencing weakness in that sense. And and the neighbour next door in Australia is the largest exporter of iron ore in the world which sends a, a lot of it into china into the steel industry um so there is uh weakness on the ground but i would say that's countered by a lot of optimism the, the market and the participants are very keen to look through this current weakness people are saying we're not surprised that the data coming out is terrible but we're looking forward to the the rosy future um, as the COVID wave ends and the economy gets back to um, a reopening and a fast growing. Um, At at Milford, we think the market may be a little bit um, overestimating how big the boom is afterwards. We do think a lot of the weakness in China's economy has been structural and it's driven by economic policy, not just by COVID. So we do see room for actually a little bit of a disappointment in in how strong this reopening boom is going to be once China is through this COVID wave.
3: Well, also tell me here uh, uh, as well, I mean, mean, the thing is, it is uh, definitely going to see some pent-up demand at least and can so in a way china perhaps uh, drag the global economy up again
2: uh, the, the consumer side well we think there is going to be a decent amount of pent-up demand so we um, and then even on the oil um, consumption side which obviously during COVID with low mobility you will see um, a, a decent amount of pent-up demand so i think for certain consumer stocks um, exposed to uh, exposed to China, there will be a decent reopening boom, um, and we think for certain commodities, particularly uh, energy commodities like oil, there'll be a reopening boom. But we we we're not big believers that this is going to um, massively move the dial for a global economic sense. For for one reason, and that we do think that there's still an intentional slowing of the, of the Chinese property market um, that that goes beyond the COVID effects. That's that's aimed at reallocating the China's economy from fixed infrastructure and fixed property investment to, to manufacturing and high-end, that continues beyond the reopening wave. And secondly, we do think, um, you know, so IMF has been saying uh, in the last couple of days that, there, that a lot of countries around the world will, will see quickly slowing growth and into recessions Uh, this year, and that's going to mean the overall global global economic situation is quite poor.
1: I'd like to get your take on what's going on in Japan. There's been a pretty dramatic reversal uh, from the BOJ. The Nikkei is today reporting that the Bank of Japan is intending to boost its inflation projections uh, later this month. Have we seen some type of inflection point in the inflation story in Japan? oh
2: absolutely no we, we we think it's sort of got to a point it's been causing issues um obviously on the ground with many consumers struggling with inflation various import export businesses um not handling the quick changes in the, in the interest rate uh, and then in exchange rates very well um and it's 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 causing a, a slow change in policy so obviously they've only been very marginal changes so far but it's sort of a window has been opened for more tweaks to the the yield curve cap that they're running, the market is sort of anticipating that they will eventually keep sliding these um, these, these yield curve caps. And that's sort of having an, um, an impact on exchange rates. Um, and then uh, yeah, that may eventually cool off some of the inflation pressures that are coming. But if, as we're seeing in the rest of the world, um, when inflation begins, it, it, it gathers up quite a heat of steam um, and the lag of changing policy to, to impacting inflation. Appears to be over 12 months, so it can cause a bit of issues if you get behind the curve. Can take uh, quite quite a lot of adjustments in your financial levers to get back ahead of the curve again. And what we'll be interested in with Japan this year is how they react. To inflation pressures that tend to accelerate while they're moving the yield curve or interest rate caps higher.
3: Uh- well, you've got, I think, an unusually high, 40% of your portfolio in cash. When does the, when do you start to getting out of cash? And what uh, will you go into and when?
2: Well, we've marginally invested some of that cash at the very end of this year with the markets coming down. Uh, generally, were, they were chopping lower um, into Christmas and a little bit chop chop lower between Christmas and New Year's. So we took that opportunity to invest a little bit of the cash. But the cash level overall remains higher. Um, on a medium-term view, our, our view for the year is that we will have recessions in most developed world nations. That will mean that uh, you know, eventually, uh, long-term interest rates can stabilise and come down a little bit. We kind of think more like 3.5% in the 10-year for the US as a, as a fair value, um, and from an equity point of view, we're looking to uh, you know, run, run technically higher cash for the first half of this year. Uh, position in defenses like staples communications companies uh utilities and avoid the economic uh at least sensitive cyclical sectors um and uh, as if we're right in the in the recession and the wicked growth pays out it'll be it'll be a fairly nasty couple of quarters for mm-hmm. earnings coming up and that provides the real opportunity to, to set up that generational buying opportunity and putting out okay. some of these companies. So we'll have to wait and see down, what right.
1: happens. Uh, happy New Year to you, William. William Curtine, Portfolio Manager at Milford Asset Management, joining us from Auckland, New Zealand, here on DBA.